0: Again, I would invite you, if you're able to, I know if you you got kiddos, it's, you're not going to have two books open right now, but um, if you're able to do so, you can open the page, um, it's page 928, which is chapter 16 of the Westminster Confession, which is titled, Of Good Works. So the Confession has spent many chapters talking about the sovereign work of salvation in the life of sinners. And now, the the confession takes up this topic of good works, and it really does follow the pattern of Ephesians chapter 2. It reminds us that we were dead in the trespasses of our sins. It was only by the grace of God that we have been saved in Christ Jesus, but having been saved, having been redeemed, the Lord leaves us here with a purpose. And so, let's think about first the nature of good works and that's really where the confession starts and i'll summarize what section 1 says it basically tells us that good works are only are only such as god has commanded in his holy word and not those devised by men without the warrant of the scriptures and even those done out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention, that those are not good works. And this reminds us that God is the only source of good, and it's, some of you may know this, the word good actually comes from the word God. And so when God commands something like he does in Micah 6.8, we know What is good? Like acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. God alone determines what is good. And as the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 13, He alone can show us what is pleasing in His sight, and He alone can equip us that we might carry out every good work in Christ Jesus. And this is important, especially in our day and age. We need to remember our need to be rooted in the Scriptures when it comes to good works so that we don't easily get sucked into the so-called good works invented by men, which very often actually turn out to be evil. We know that we live in a time now like the time of the judges where people call good evil and evil good. There are people who think they are carrying out a good work and they are, they are zealous, they have good intention, but they are doing evil. And so it's important for us to look to the one source of good, God, in His Word to determine what He commands, therefore what is good, And what is a good work? You'll notice that the confession, too, echoes what the Bible teaches, telling us that zeal, good intention, that these do not constitute a good work. Uh, Paul said in Romans 10, verses 2 and 3, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And so this is, we need to remember, much of the New Testament is addressed to religious people. And this truth is especially critical when it comes to our worship. And that's reflected in one of the assembly's proof texts, Matthew 15, 9. We, in Reformed churches, adhere to the regulative principle of worship for a reason. And, and the regulative principle of worship acknowledges that God alone determines how we worship Him. That uh, when we start determining, well, this is a good thing to have in worship, we end up with what we see in much of the American church today. And again, done with good intention, done with zeal. But not only does it not glorify God, but it ends up in the end being idolatry and invites God's judgment. Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 15:19, he said, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. People may chafe at the simplicity of this, these worship services today, and yet this is God's protection. He alone determines what is good, and that is especially true in our worship of Him. Now good works, the confession goes on to point out that how good works have great value, value to us value to our brothers and sisters, and value to the world as a whole, and yet their ultimate aim must be the glory of God. Now, section 2 says, These good works, done in obedience to God, God's commandments, are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, Adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. And so, good works are needed. They they bring us assurance of our salvation. It's a way for us to express our thankfulness. We build up our brothers and sisters. We, we benefit the world as a whole, and yet their ultimate aim is the glory of our great God. So that's the nature of good works. Next, let's think about the origin of good works. And the Bible, again, is clear in this regard and the confession echoes this truth that our ability to do good works does not originate in us or from us but wholly from the spirit of christ it's only by being united to the vine that we can bear much fruit and you you may have noticed as I read uh, in Uh, Ephesians 2, Paul uses these repeated phrases through Christ, in Christ, with Christ. It's the language of union with Jesus. And that is the only way that we can do good works. It's only by being united to Him. Again, Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our salvation is in Christ alone, and in a way, we should say that our good works are in Christ alone. It is only by Christ working in us by His Spirit that we are able to do good works. And yet that does not mean that we are inactive or we can grow complacent or negligent. Listen to section three. Their ability to do do good works is not at all themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. And that, that they may be enabled thereunto, besides the graces they have already received, there is required an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit "...to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet are they not hereupon to grow negligent, as if they were not bound to perform any duty unless upon a special motion of the Spirit? But they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them." And so the, the confession really guards there against two errors. Uh, number one, against thinking, well, you know, Jesus saved me by grace sovereignly, but now it's up to me to do good works. Uh, we can't do good works in and of ourselves. We, we need the Holy Spirit, and yet that doesn't mean we can be negligent. Um, when I, I preached upon the topic of sanctification the last time I was with you, I gave the example of that man at the pool of Bethesda He was paralyzed. He couldn't get up. He couldn't walk. And yet, what does Jesus say to him? Get up. What that man couldn't do in his own power by an act of faith, he listened to the Lord Jesus and he stood up. And that's in many ways what our good works are like. We are dependent upon Christ and his spirit. And so while good works are a fruit of saving faith they're not an automatic fruit there's a need for the ongoing work of the spirit and an active faith in our part and again going back to something that was highlighted in in the first service is the importance of our corporate worship as we are built up in Christ as uh, we experience the outpouring of the spirit in worship. We should view that as us being empowered by the Spirit to go out and live lives doing good works for the glory of God now, thirdly let's think about the limitation of good works. Uh, we, in the first two sections, it listed some things that good works do how what they how they benefit us and the church and to glorify God, but now the confession really outlines what they can't do in sections 4 and 5. Good works are works that God commands. They're fruits and evidences of a lively faith in Jesus, fruit of the Holy Spirit, work in us, but that work's not perfected until we're with Jesus in glory. And so in this life, we fall short Our good works are tainted with sin and imperfection. They're tainted with bad motives. And that means that we can never earn pardon of our sin. We can never merit eternal life by the greatest human work. Luke 17.10 So also when you have done all that you were commanded, done everything, you were supposed to do, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Job 9.20, Job said, though I am in the right, done the right things, Lord, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. And this is what the... um, The Confession underlines for us, sections 4 and 5, sections 4 says, They who in their obedience attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life are so far from being able to supererogate. Now that's really addressing um, the Roman Catholic era. Some of you are familiar with the treasury of merits. A super ergoth is, there's two words, uh, Ergon means work, a super work. In other words, the the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that uh, someone could do so many good works that they were stored up in this treasury of merits, and so if someone else didn't do enough good works, they could draw out of that merit. And uh, that, that, of course, is an affront to our holy God that such a thing would be possible. It goes on to to say we are so far from being able to supererogate and to do more than God requires as that they fall short of much which in duty they are bound to do. We cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come. And the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom by then we can either profit nor satisfy the debt of former sins. But when we have done all that we can, we have done our, but our duty and our unprofitable servants. And because as they are good, they proceed from the Spirit. And as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment. And I think it is intrinsic to our human nature that when we do good works, we want to measure ourselves by our good works. But there is that tendency to boast and to evaluate ourselves and to look at ourselves as better than others when we we do good works. And When we're tempted to do that, we need to ask ourselves, how can we seriously set the best of our good works, our greatest sacrifices for Christ, how can we set that beside the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? When we essentially say, look at my good work, look how good I am. What are we doing? We're, we're setting it up next to the sacrifice of Jesus. And that means when we become aware of our growth in grace, when we become aware that, yes, I, I'm growing and I'm, I'm doing good works and I'm, and I'm serving, when we're tempted to boast in ourselves, we need to really turn from that temptation and give glory and thanks to Christ and His Spirit. Because it's evidence of His work in us. One writer drawing from Galatians 5 writes this. He says, Are you seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness in your life? Are you seeing kindness, goodness, and faithfulness in your roommate or spouse? Have you noticed any gentleness and self-control in your Christian friends or children? If so... We should instinctively know who is at work. This is the fruit of the Spirit and He must be assigned the credit. Our good works are limited. They are tainted with sin. And so let's then finally consider the acceptance of good works. Because that kind of begs the question, doesn't it? How how can our good works that are so tainted with sin and imperfection, how can they really be accepted by God? And the final two sections answer that question with respect to the believer and then to the unbeliever. The answer for us as believers is it should really amaze us that our good works are accepted in our mediator, Jesus. Jesus' work of purification is not done at our salvation. Paul said in Ephesians 1.6, God accepts us in the beloved, in Jesus. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.5, that we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, To do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How amazing is this? That that Jesus, our high priest and mediator, purifies our sin-stained good works that they might be acceptable to God. He makes our good works that are so, so tainted, so imperfect. He makes those a pleasing aroma to his Father. And this language of of, of doing good works is is spoken of in multiple places with this language of sacrifice. Uh, We heard it in the first Peter uh, passage. Um, And actually, four of the proof texts listed in the confession use that That language, Um, one of them is um, from Exodus 28 of the high priest going in and offer the sacrifice, and and I think that's that's a good way for us to think about it. That's the way the Lord presents it to us. What did the high priest do in the Old Testament? The Israelite brought their sacrifice, and they were to bring what? An unblemished sacrifice. And we know that there was really no such thing, was there? I mean, those of you who have have animals, I mean, you you ever seen an unblemished animal? I mean, they're dirty, but the idea is you brought your best. And then the high priest went in, into the presence of God, and based upon blood, he interceded for the sinner that that sacrifice would be accepted by God. And uh, the incense rose up as a, as a pleasing aroma. And that's really the image that is used to, to describe our good works. Our good works are blemished. But God says, bring your best in the power of the Spirit. And our high priest is in and he's pleading his blood on our behalf that our spiritual sacrifices be accepted. And this is what the Confession says in section 6. Notwithstanding, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works are also accepted in Him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that He, looking upon them in His Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere although accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. And that should comfort us. That should spur us on to to good works. Yes, our our works are tainted by sin, but Jesus and his spirit are on your side. And he wants to see you progress in good works. But a final brief note on the works of unbelievers. The confession affirms what what the Bible teaches, that unbelievers can do some good works by the common grace of God. But it teaches what the Bible does, that though their works can be useful, though they are necessary, they are not acceptable to God. Section 7 reads, works done by unregenerate men although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to the right end the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God, or make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is... Is more sinful and displeasing unto God. There's much that could be said there, but ultimately the glory of God is not sought because there's no relationship with that God. And so we were created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so as we we begin a new week, um, let's, let's resolve in the power of the Spirit to walk in the steps of our Savior and seek to glorify Him and serve others with our good works. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would apply these words to our heart, Lord, that we would not grow weary in doing good, but we would... Lord, count it a great joy to walk as our Savior did. Lord, may we look to Your Word to determine what is good and right, what it pleases You. And Lord, may our good works shine before men and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.